$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. For 5,000 years I have slumbered in the darkness. And I have emerged on today, this day of the podcasting. Hail, podcasting. I love you. It's time to podcast. Hey, everybody. Uh, <laughs> that like HP Lovecraft monster <laughs> took a real emotional turn there for. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it was, I love you. <laughs> I don't know. I think after our conversation with today's guest, I just don't want to be evil anymore. Uh, oh, that's nice. Hey, everybody. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host. Michael McMillan with me only for today. No, that's not how <laughs> oh, it's a tough sentence. With me alone, alone with me. <laughs> alone with me. It's alone good. with me. That is actually what I should we should start calling this podcast. Seriously. Like alone. I'm not even sure that you're there. I might just be speaking into a vacuum. Oh god, all this whole time. Just you've been oh, in your apartment. Oh my god, it's like a shutter island. That's like my my this podcast is my shutter island. Guys, uh, I'm talking to super producer Riley Bray. Uh Bryce is out of town. He's working on a top secret project that mm-hmm. we can't tell you what it is but i think you can figure it out um so uh we actually were gonna drop a different episode today that uh sort of got abducted by aliens halfway through is that yeah the, i'd say that's much? an accurate description of what um, happened. so instead of not giving you an episode uh this week old uncle bryce or uncle michael and riley we uh we we put our heads together and we came up with this i'm gonna say amazing last minute episode yeah uh, 
This is like the project you deliver in high school that you did the night before, but you just nail it. I think. You know what I'm and it's all because of our guest. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, he's, but, well, he's the partner in the partner project that actually right. does all the work We're like, while we eat pizza and make fart jokes. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> he's like suddenly a surprise visit from your cool uncle that played in a rock and roll band, like showed up and you just bring him in for show and tell. That's exactly. <laughs> so yeah. you have an episode. Um, listen, guys, we're planning amazing stuff for the month of August and to close out uh, Wet Hot Alien Summer, which we've been celebrating. And, and actually... Actually, that's a good reminder that, guys, that fucking amazing T-shirt by James Maholland, our Wet Hot Alien Tee, is up right now on the uh, Campfire Shop. Go to wearecampfire.media. That's our network. Click shop. Hit that. You'll scroll down. You'll see all of our designs. And because uh, of demand, we now have that design on stickers and mugs and hoodies. Uh, don't know about pocket tees. I don't think T public has pocket tees. One of our listeners said, give me pocket tees. Uh, we're not in control of the type of merch. It's all part of the T public thing. You know, just, just buy a shirt. So yeah. on a pocket pocket yeah, tee. Yeah. It's a, a fun quarantine activity. Want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we do hope you'll go, uh, check those out and, uh, and then get yourself a little t-shirt. I love that design so much. It's by far our favorite shirt yeah. um uh riley how are you doing man i'm you know i'm doing pretty good i've you know, all things considered i i refuse to uh turn to cynicism and despair even though it's really easy to do but uh you know life is happening life is good i'm i'm getting by working in the yard a lot spending time outside that's been nice i've been inspired by that garden you and grace are putting together Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome when it's done. Maybe you can come over. We can have a socially distanced hang. Outside. I honestly, I almost cried at that suggestion because <laughs> that would be so good. We I should. have like not been, you know, other than my dog walks. I, I'm not seeing a lot of people. Like, yeah, I mean, that's good though. You're doing you're doing your part, and that's good that you're doing that. Uh, but. You know, I'm trying to trying to do the best for my community and of course la is spiking right now uh Mm -hmm. this is my honestly uh the podcast has become my like uh window into the world in a big way and um i'm glad that our listeners are are hanging with us um and you know we've had new uh people join us over on the other side our patreon page uh this week you can get our movie review and discussion of the film contact the robert zemeckis movie uh from 1997 uh with special guest grace mitchell yeah that Um, was a fun movie night that was a good time that That was a good one that was definitely a good one uh you know no matter the opinions pass around about the film i i think (laughs) well if you want to check it out you can check it out. It's there. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Okay. Well, we said there was no Bryce today, but that's not completely true because uh, we did manage to record a BCC news item uh, about the big UFO news that broke this week. Uh, why don't we just go over there? We'll listen to that. And then after that, we're going to sit down with uh, the amazing John E. L. Tenney, who came in to talk about a wide-ranging amount of stuff, mostly UFOs and aliens, as it is Wet Hot Alien Summer. But we kind of we kind of got deep. It was yeah, we did. It got a little metaphysical, a little uh, a little philosophical. It was a, that was a nice conversation. 
He's a super thoughtful guy. So, all right, let's listen to some news. Let's talk to uh, John E.L. Tenney, uh, paranormal researcher, investigator, author, humorist. And then when after that, we're going to come back here, and Riley and I are going to say goodnight to you guys. We'll see you in, uh, in about an hour. BCC News! That's so much worse. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I thought that was perfect. See, Bryce, the thing is, when you hear it right, I hear it wrong. And when I hear it right, you hear it wrong. Wow. This is the high strangeness that is our partnership on this podcast. Well, Michael's right, because there's absolutely no better time to be discussing UFOs than right now. So as we hinted at in last week's episode of a possible another bomb drop in the New York Times about UFOs, it happened. Uh, Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene followed up their uh, groundbreaking 2017 article in the New York Times uh, with a new piece entitled No Longer in the Shadows, Pentagon's UFO Unit Will Make Some Findings Public. For over a decade, the program now tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence has discussed mysterious events in classified briefings. Despite Pentagon statements that it disbanded a once covert program to investigate uh, UFOs, the effort remains underway, renamed and tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence. And, uh, you know, this is what Louis Al- Lou Alizondo has been saying all along, that the program never ended. Uh, and this New York Times article really confirms that. Uh, some of the bombshell uh, news pieces in this is uh, Eric W. Davis, an astrophysicist who worked as a subcontractor and then a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program since 2007, said that in some cases, examination of the materials that they had collected so far has failed to determine their source and led him to conclude we couldn't make it ourselves. So this is article is really saying that, you know, perhaps there have been these crash retrieval programs that we so often hear about tucked in special access programs and that there is a good chance that they have material and that this material uh is not from earth is not made by us so uh you know i've heard a lot of sort of skeptics talk about on ufo twitter that it still was a closely guarded uh new york times piece that they didn't reveal too much and that they tried to really, you know, write between the lines. But uh, I recommend everybody go check it out. And, uh, you know, well, and I, I Bryce, think there's going to be another one coming down the pike pretty soon. And that's totally backed up by this other quote that I thought was the other big, like, hey, check this out moment from this article was when former Democratic Senator from Nevada, uh, Harry Reid, said uh, that after looking into this, I came to the conclusion that there were reports some were substantive, some not so substantive. So remember, there's always bullshit out there. Yeah, of course. Uh, that there were actual materials that the government and the private private sector had in their possession. So not only the government has it, but some, some people in the private sector may have these as well. Um, so I, I think this is really exciting stuff. I don't know, Riley, what, what do you think about all this UFO news? I mean... I also kind of felt like the article was, it was like written between the lines. And then I was sort of like, what exactly did they just reveal? Or it almost seemed like they said, we're going to reveal something. And that was the Mm -hmm. big reveal. Um, But then it kind of went on to talk about, you know, concerns about threats from Russia and China and, and, um, you know, advanced aerospace technology and all that. 
Yeah, uh, well, right. It, it seems I mean, the big- like the Congress has to always house it in those terms that we've just got to make sure it's not coming from Russia or China. And it's like, give me a fucking break. But that uh, also, I actually think that really makes sense. One, it's easier to sell that way. It also that's is true. a way to skirt around the stigma of, are we really talking about UFOs? Right. Plus, like some of this shit might not, you know, I don't think everything that's unidentified out there is an alien spacecraft or an interdimensional spacecraft. Some of this shit might also be drones from China. We don't, you know, we don't know, but they all have to be lobbed together under for a foreign threat. And you'll see that that, that perspective goes all the way back to the way the military handled the Roswell crash in 1947. I know that you don't believe that there are Chinese drones flying over and evading our best fighter pilots. I know that for a no, fact no, no. that you don't I, believe that. I don't, Bryce, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. No, I understand what you're I saying. Don't think, I don't think the video of the Tic Tac UFO is a drone, I but I do it. think that things, drones do crash in in U.S. territory that are recovered as well. It's, and I think, yeah. I think there is a mix of tech. And I think that that's what Harry Reid is saying. Some of this stuff appears to be, you know, m- maybe uh, off-world technology, you know, or something, you know, but not all of it. Some of this stuff is definitely man-made. Some of it is probably our own shit. And then there's the other category that this is coming from someplace else. Yeah. These but are it two, seemed like these though, are that, two, Oh, go ahead, Riley. It seemed to me that that article, though, was like speculating at that point more than it was confirming it. It well, was sort I of mean, saying like maybe, maybe Harry Reid has actually said after looking at this stuff, he's come to that conclusion. And this astrophysicist is saying the same thing as he's presenting it to Congress. The other big thing that this reveals is that the program is still alive. Yeah. Up until this point, we, we heard that it closed in what, 2012, I think, or 2017. Yeah. Um, and now it's just been renamed and moved into a different department in the Pentagon. So I just want to go on the record and say, make no mistake about it. While these people are guarded in the way they talk about it, they are talking about UFOs from made from off this planet. They're not talking about Chinese or Russian drones. It's ridiculous to think that. I think they're talking about all of it because they have to compare the materials that they find that are quote unquote off world with others tech that they've recovered that is man-made. Yeah, you that's know what true. I mean? Yeah. You need a basis. For I think they're talking about all of it and I, they, they have to, but I'm not saying that this is all man-made stuff, Bryce. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. No, that we're, there yeah, is a UF, Sam and, we're and with you. What I'm saying is I, I just wish that article had gone a little further. It just seemed like it was, it was sort of halfway halfway yeah. there to what it was actually saying, and I was like, "Well, if well, this, it, is, it, this is the case. Then let's let's get to it." You know, I think it, it's it, trickling out. It's going to take time. You know, as we saw with like, it took a while for the Pentagon to admit, okay, those videos that the Air Force released are real. It took a while yeah. for the Air baby Force steps. to go, yeah, baby they're steps. real. There you go. There's all this bureaucracy, and the truth is, they got to be super fucking careful about it because they also don't want to let other countries know that they have tech 
<laughs> well, you know? and some some of the yeah. inside rumors yeah. of this article is that that it really it had a hard time coming out, and they really had to retract a lot of what they were trying to say oh. uh, just to get the article out. So interesting. Um, yeah, I think there was some misinformation in maybe the first running of this story or while preparing this story. So, you know, and let's not forget that when we're dealing with this sector we're probably also <laughs> dealing with an amount uh, of disinformation that's being given to these reporters and to us by the government as well or you ufo know. twitter users exactly <laughs> yeah there's disinformation on twitter <laughs> no way well enough about the new york times and the pentagon secret ufo program let's move on Boys and girls, today's guest is an author, lecturer, humorist, and has been actively involved in the field of anomalistic, conspiratorial, occult, ufological, and paranormal research for almost three decades. Uh, you know him. You love him. He's been on the show before. You can discover his work at weirdlectures.com and the podcast Realm of the Weird. Boys and, word. Uh, boys and girls, please give a warm Club Scout salute and welcome back. Mr. John E. L. Tenney. All right. John. (laughs) How you doing? Welcome back, man. We're doing okay. Sorry, uh, Bryce is not here today. Uh, He's going to be very upset that he missed this conversation. Who needs him? Honestly, that's what Riley. That's what Riley says to me every week. That was the private. That was I said that in oh. confidence. Oh, I didn't realize we were actually rolling. I'm sorry, uh, John. Uh, before we get into you know this big news item that came out this week, I wanted to ask you a follow up question from last time you were on the show. How's your book coming along? And do you have any updates on the formats that you can reveal? Uh, no, I'm actually right now, I've got a couple of different people processing different data points because I want to have some charts and graphs in there and then some things that people maybe do or don't think about and how they would correlate. So, uh, I'm not a great numbers person, but I have a lot of friends that are mathematicians and scientists and in various different fields. And so I have them working on numbers for me, which is the most unfun part of the book for me. Now, when you say numbers and you're talking about a paranormal investigation, what does that mean exactly? Uh, So mathematical correlates, uh, how many people during what date, at what time of the day, what seems to be a trending pattern uh, according, like due to date and then decade and century, uh, the rotation of the planet. What phase is it in? Uh, what its constellation patterns are? So all of that stuff. A lot of I, num- sorry, I Go never ahead. stopped to think about the fact that like the and it makes total sense that the position of the planet and the position of the stars might have an effect on what type of phenomenon someone may or may not experience. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the interesting things. I mean, it is fun, you know, going, taking people on ghost hunts and taking people looking for UFOs. But then if you want to start really being able to talk about what it may or may not entail, like you should probably have some numbers and you should probably be thinking about how those numbers apply to the seemingly shared reality that we have. Because, you know, one of the things that always cracks me up is when people are hunting ghosts or like looking for ghosts, they say like, uh, well, there's a ghost in that house, right? But (laughs) the thing that I've always think about is like, right, but the house is on the planet and the planet is in a completely different position than it was yesterday. It's millions of miles away from where it was yesterday. So the ghost, is it locked into that 
place because oh of gravity. God. Hmm. That, I never even thought about that. I've thought about this with time travel, but I haven't thought about this with ghosts. Like time travel, I've thought like, well, if you go back to 1955, you know, if you're not locked into the, you know, there has to be something that anchors you to the Earth's orbit. Right. Yep. Because if if we leave this point in time and go back to 1955, our time machine might uh, show up in the middle of a uh, space on the other side of the sun. You know what I mean? Or right. with the earth yeah. being on the other side of the sun and then we're dead. <laughs> so I've thought about that, but I've never thought about it in those terms of the paranormal. And that is fascinating because it also makes you think that maybe there are these portals that aren't on earth, but portals that are within earth's orbit that maybe those are opportune times for, let's say, you know, an interdimensional craft or a craft from another, you know, a wormhole opening up from another galaxy or another star system might be able to drop in and out. I remember right. or, or, or it passes through a field that makes ghosts more viable to our brains and, and our reality. Dude, you know, outer space ghost field. That is cool stuff. That's yeah. like because if you, if you draw core. if you draw that idea forward, I try and always think beyond my own thoughts. So then like knowing that the planet is millions of miles away from where it was yesterday and why would a ghost still be in the house? And if the ghost persists to be in that house, then I think forward, like, okay, there's going to be a time after the sun goes red giant and blows up the earth, like 4 billion years from now or whenever that is, like, is there going to be this contained field floating around in space that the earth used to be in that's going to be full of ghosts who think they're still in a house? Whoa. Let alone the planet. Right. Wow. And then if the planet's gone, is the house a ghost? You know what I mean? Like Right. (laughs) And then if another planet passes through it, what does that planet experience of the ghosts that were there? A whole ghost planet just yeah Yeah. gliding through. Wow. I feel like I'm teetering on the edge of oblivion (laughs) right now. (laughs) My mind is blown. Yeah. You just discovered ghost gravity. I mean, this is incredible. This is my, this is 30 years of my brain just sitting in the house going insane. Yeah. Well, I feel like, I feel like I'm quickly catching up to you during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember when we read uh, Mothman Prophecy, I think it was in Mothman. It might be in the eighth tower. I can't remember, but you know, John Keel talking about how Wednesdays uh, at a certain time, a certain time of month, if a Wednesday falls on like a 27th or something, this is off the top of my head that you're you're more likely to see a UFO like there. He was kind of putting that stuff together back in the sixties. Right. What's strange. What's strange with that though, is if you, if you dive into Keel's research into that finding kind of window periods of time, like Wednesdays, I think it was either Wednesday or Tuesdays that he were saying are most opportune to having a, a strange experience. But that only applies to like American and European experiences. Right. Like if you mm-hmm. run the numbers on dates and experiences for Asia, like it, it most commonly occurs on Sundays. Right. I, I don't think John Keel was like a big intersectionalist. Like, I don't think he was thinking beyond. Uh, I don't know. He's a man of his time. Sometimes I feel like reading his books and the way yeah. he loves to comment on women's bodies. But um, <laughs> but that's yeah, it's true. It's like all I don't you know. And then you got to think about. I don't know, man, this this stuff is uh, there's so much to take into account. So when you go out in a paranormal investigation, do you 
do you do like a microcosmic sort of like, do you ever go, well, let's, let me do a chart real quick, or let me look at the, let me figure out what day of the week this will be better based on an astrological, you know, uh, position to, to go do that ghost hunt? So if I do a ghost hunt and people know this, it's on my website, you can request me to try and investigate something that you think is weird, but all of this is laid out on my website. It says the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to have you send me a letter or an email. You're going to write out the entire experience. I'm going to read it. And then in the next week to two weeks, we're going to meet at a coffee spot or someplace that is safe for both of us, our first personal meeting. And I don't want that person to bring anything with them. Uh, What's going to happen is I'm going to have their printout or their letter that they sent me, and they're going to retell me their story. Mm. And usually in that first meeting, I can determine if someone's lying or not, because they Mm. don't remember exactly what they wrote. And so they'll start fabricating or moving things around if if they're just making a story up. Um, And then if things seem copacetic and everything's all right... Then I will ask permission for the ability to start doing ancestry work on their family, pulling property records for their house, pulling architectural records, going to the city hall and doing all that work. Um, And I also think this is very important to talk about, too, as a paranormal researcher, when someone comes to me with a startling, somewhat outrageous story For as willing as I am to say, I will investigate a ghost in your house, I am also willing to say, would you go and see a therapist? Mm. Well, that's good. I think that's you can't you can't remove that whole side of things from everything. I think it's good to walk into that with open eyes. That's that's a good policy. I mean, that's how I started going to therapy was because I was having I've talked about this on the show before. I have no shame in it at all. But I started seeing things in the middle of the night, I would wake up and I had like night terrors. And I would have these sort of hallucinations where I would see the first thing that happened to me is I was working on a movie. uh, And I'd spent like a month covered in blood, we were in Morocco. And I woke up in the middle of the night and saw myself covered in blood standing over my bed. And I threw like my pillow and screamed and ran into the bathroom and shut the door. And my, I was just like, my, my adrenaline was pumping so hard. And I, you know, this started happening to me in times of stress where I would like immediately wake up and see a figure or a phantom there, almost like an HD quality and it would vanish and I started going on the therapist because I was like, I'm seeing shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, Red flag. And it was wild because while, you know, and she's, I still see her. She's awesome. And she was like, okay, this is the way that your anxiety manifests yourself. Right. And that made a lot of sense to me. Cause I would, I would look back and I go, yes, this stuff happened in the most stressful times or just I'm, I'm underslept or whatever, but I couldn't shake the sense And even when it still happens sometimes, I can't shake the sense that it at least feels like there's another intelligence behind it. And that's the thing that freaks me out a little bit, you know? So I don't know if that's common with people that you talk to, but it's definitely helped put the framework for how I talk about these things and how I talk about these things related to my own psychology, you know, because I do feel like I've hallucinated before, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing too, right? So, like, I had my near-death experience when I died when I was eighteen, 
And there was a lot of PTSD and a lot of trauma involved. When you come back to life, you see therapists for a long time, at least I did, just to be able to handle the experience of knowing I was dead and now I'm alive. Yeah, that's and, a good excuse to go talk to somebody. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, w- the thing that I became really focused on in those years was learning what my brain could do, which is why I joined the International Brotherhood of Magicians and started doing uh, tests at the local Wayne State University, the college here, doing sleep deprivation tests and uh, isolation tank floats and seeing what my brain was capable of. And I mean, the thing that you said that is so interesting is that there really does many times seem to feel like there is a separate intelligence sometimes involved. Right. And so uh, and growing up, I was always scared of aliens like E.T. As much as I love that movie as a small boy, it was always in my nightmares. E.T. would show up at my window at night. I remember seeing communion for the first time, uh, the, the, the book covered a communion in the shopping mall and that immediately terrifying me, these images of the alien gray stuff. And throughout therapy, I was like, Oh, my anxiety just manifests itself to think that something paranormal or unexplainable or otherworldly is going to come get me. Right. Right. So in my, you know, and I would talk about that in therapy and she'd be like, you're afraid of the unknown and this and that you have a career that you don't have a lot of control over. But, you know, this stuff goes back to my childhood. And then, John, I I wasn't planning on telling this, but I but I'd like to hear your perspective. Um, We've talked I've talked to you about telling this to you before, but four years ago in summer, late summer was like June 29th, 2016 at four o'clock in the morning. I wake up hearing my bulldog, Albie, growling out in the living room, just a low growl. And I go, oh boy, my next door neighbor who shoots nights, he's coming home. He's waking, Albie's waking him up. And I could tell that I was sitting there for about 30 seconds listening to his growls growing. And I was like, oh, he's going to start barking. He's going to wake everybody up. And he started barking. My terrier shot off the bed, ran out of the living room, and the two of them are just going ape shit. And I walk out into my living room, and I'm facing the window. Now, here's the thing. I, I wear glasses. I did not put my glasses on, but I'm about 12 feet away from the window. I can still see what they're barking at. And what they're barking at is there is a figure in the window And this figure, all I can see is a long neck and like a inverted spoon or inverted teardrop shaped head. And my dogs are barking at this thing. And my curtains, so my curtains are drawn and there are lights that project up from this little like rock garden in front of my apartment on the ground floor. So this thing is just being shadow puppet projected onto the, the curtains. And my first thought was, that looks like an alien. I mean, it was like straight up, <laughs> like it, it, like on the nose cliche. So on the nose, alien gray silhouette that I, at first it did not scare me. Um, you know, my first thought was like, someone is looking in the window to break in. My second thought was that looks like an alien. And then I see this thing turn its head and its body movements. It undulates where I can see the ripple of its neck as it kind of cocks its head as if it's aware that I'm in the room. And once I saw it move, and I could see where the the neck 
met the back of the base of the skull and it almost looked like a um a golf wedge that that kind of that hmm. you know kind of like et but much shorter not as much of a or his face wasn't as long i mean this looked like something out of close encounters in silhouette now i didn't see any details i think had i had my glasses on I would have been able to see maybe even through the curtain, through the sheerness of it, and maybe seen a little bit more detail to it. So this thing moves its head. I go, oh, shit. You know, not stopping to think about what's <laughs> happening. Turn on the light, and it takes off towards the back of my building. I quickly put on my glasses. I go out on the porch. The dogs are going nuts. And I'm looking around. And next door to me, my next door neighbor, Kyle, comes out, who I thought that was the guy who was coming home and starting this. I go, hey, did you just get home? And he goes, no, I've been home for about an hour. What's going on? And I go, Some, I didn't want to say what I wanted to say. I just said someone was looking in my window. And he goes, that is so freaky, dude. I was just watching Netflix since I got home, and I could have sworn something was in. He said, my porch door's been open this whole time. I could have sworn something was in the apartment watching me. So we did a, you know, we looked around the building, couldn't find anything. I had Kyle stand in the window and I stood where I was standing. I took off my glasses. It was a completely different shape. You know, it looked like a man's crouched down by the window. This thing looked like a stereotypical cliche alien gray. And I have no idea what it was. And if my dogs had not started barking, and started the whole thing. A, I never knew what it would have been passing by. And I thought it would have been a, a hallucination of some kind, you know? Um, but it was wild. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It was also about three weeks after I had been to Roswell, New Mexico. So that, you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. Um, and nothing like that has ever happened since, but it's by far the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I'll tell you what's interesting, and researchers, we all have our little, um, I don't even know what you call them. Like when I'm talking to people who have had an experience like yours or a UFO experience, I look for little key components uh, to see like if they match up to kind of the data points that I've been looking for. And one of the things that's interesting is you hit one of those data points, which is... Um, I don't talk about this too often because I don't want people to know that's what I'm looking for, but I don't really don't care at this point just because it's an interesting conversation, which is when uh, people have an experience of seeing uh, what they think is an alien creature uh, in or around their house, uh, a true one that I think is a true valid experience. They do something totally and completely non-psychologically calming as a human which is they go after it. Right. If it Weird. was a human, if it was a human outside of your house, you wouldn't have done what you did. Whoa. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You would have, you would have jumped back, been like, Oh shit, there's a human out there. Call the cops. Somebody's outside. But instead it was so beyond your fear response that you were like, what the fuck was that? And your wonderment, overrode your fear response to yeah. um, enough to go out and walk around and look for it. Right. I was convinced it was hiding behind the cars out back or something. And this thing, the window ledge, is, you know, is maybe three feet from the ground. Uh, this thing was, and it fit into the, it was about three and a half feet, maybe four feet tall. I'm six foot two. It came up to be, it would come up to maybe my sternum, you know, the top of its, whatever it's head, I guess I'll say. 
It's um, always fascinating to me when the fight and flight responses get kind of jumbled in these experiences. I, I've talked to many people who uh, woke up and looked out of their house and saw what they thought was a little man or an alien and mm-hmm. and go downstairs and go outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost like, like a calmness takes over from it's like you short circuit that that fight or flight. And then it, it's it's something else that it's beyond that. But from my part, I can tell you a personal experience. You know, I, I live just outside of Detroit. I woke up one. I mean, I've been doing this for three decades. I woke up one night laying in bed because my house seemed to have gotten too quiet. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm used to the clicks and buzzings and pops of my house. And it was almost as if there had been a noise and then there wasn't a noise and it was enough to wake me up. Mm -hmm. And my bedroom door was cracked. And as I looked out the bedroom door, I saw just the outline silhouette of a human, what I thought was a human head. But the thing is, like immediately something inside of me told me this is a human that has broken to your house. And I immediately stomped on the floor, made noise, grabbed a baseball bat, uh, grabbed my phone. Like I did the things you do when a human is around. Mm-hmm. I didn't say like, oh, hey, buddy, and like get up and walk <laughs> toward it. <laughs> What's going on? Like there wasn't any wonderment involved. There was yeah. just pure panic and fear of a human who I know can hurt me. I. Right. I had that fear for a split second until I registered the shape of this thing. And that's when the wonderment kicked in, you know, using your words. The weird thing about it, too, was and I've said this on the show uh, talking about it in the past, but it looked like an alien gray or what we would call an alien gray. It looked like Steven Spielberg designed it. But I didn't have any of the other UFO phenomena, no, no weird lights, no, um, no weird dreams that night. Uh, I got the gut feeling that this thing was sort of passing through and was maybe a terrestrial phenomenon that we just aren't allowed to see. It felt I've told you this, Riley, I, I mean, and you, mm-hmm. Bryce, like it felt more like catching a glimpse of a leprechaun than it did seeing an alien from a spaceship. Right. Yeah. Like you, you were just catching an alien on his way to work or something. He was yeah. Like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you know that's when we go back to talking about like. So now we all have because recent history, forty years. Now we all have embedded in us kind of that image of an alien, and it's almost like there's this default setting that whatever it is can use mm. to camouflage itself as oh, that's that thing that they'll think is an alien. And so they can switch that on. So we don't really see them, but we see a representation of something that our brain goes, oh, it's an alien, uh, even whether or not we're seeing what they actually look like. Like they're using these kind of default settings that are in our brain, which I think happens with ghosts, too. I think that's why people talk about always seeing a woman in white or a shadow person. I feel like we have default triggers in our head for when they want to not actually be seen, but still be seen. So what do you think these alien greys are? Like if you I know I, I know you keep it sort of open mind, you don't like to come to conclusions, but 
you know, uh, we've been doing research all this summer. It's wet, hot alien summer here on Bigfoot Collectors Club. <laughs> and so we've been going down some deep dives lately on UFO and alien stories. I know they kind of pop up, you know, with Betty and Barney Hill. Um, I know Aleister Crowley was in communication through the occult with some sort of entity called Lamb that looks like an alien gray. You know, the bodies at Roswell uh, look like alien grays. But when did when did alien grays, when did this iconography that you're describing when did when did that really take over and replace you know these more bizarre aliens like the flatwoods monster or you know the pascagoula aliens or the little green men like why what do you think's going on there i think well i mean again i think that we're kind of building on top archetypes on top of archetypes so the modern kind of big-headed big-eyed aliens that really comes around in the 1920s when people start really writing, not fantasy, but science fiction. Um, all of a sudden, you know, for, for hundreds of years, people had been writing stories about elves and fairies and kobolds and cave knockers and all of these weird creatures. And once people were flying, they started applying those creatures to the sky and to space once we started seeing that we might be able to have space travel. And so, you know, amazing stories, startling fiction, all of those books on their cover started hypothesizing what someone would look like in the future or what someone would look like from an advanced planet. And the archetype for, you know, ethereal beings were always these small creatures and so maybe a small body with a big head because they have a big brain. And that's really in the 20s and 30s when you start to see short people with big heads starting to arrive. I was surprised uh, doing research yeah. that H.G. Wells was describing alien greys in his stories uh, as, as well, like right around that time, like the 19, 19 uh, you know, the early 1900s. And, uh, yeah. And, and 20s. Yeah. And, and it really I mean, it really did pick up steam. And then before you know it. You know, people stopped seeing fairies and elves and started seeing alien greys and little green men. Um, and even when they didn't want to see the bizarre aliens, uh, first centuries before, people had talked about heavenly messengers. And there were the contactees in the 50s. You know, they were seeing uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people uh, who were heavenly messengers. And so it just kind of became not... Uh, of of the spirit world, but of of the space world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sort of explains those uh, the Nordics and the Venusians because they really do sort of look like more New Age Christian angels than they do aliens. Right, for sure. And you know, a lot of our science fiction and folklore is based on Judeo Christian researchers and Eurocentric researchers, and so they tend to take on these forms. There are contactees who have contacted. Michael, Gabriel, uh, you know, Ashtar, all of these people are ancient uh, names for elder beings and elder gods and angels. And now they're just space people. But you're not saying that that means that this isn't all just a figment of our imagination as, you know, collectively, that this is that this could be an intelligence that's coming through in the forms of our own fiction, perhaps. I th yes, I absolutely think that there, our mind is a huge component to this. And I think that the world that may exist beyond our own uh, interacts with us through our minds, since that's how we perceive reality. And so it uses dreams, 
art, music, language, culture, folklore to shape itself so that we can see it and perceive it in certain ways. I think that artists, I mean, some of the best future forecasters and predictors are science fiction writers. It's not Nostradamus. It it is H.G. Wells. It is Jules Verne. Uh, people who sit and think and allow the creativity of the universe to unfold in front of them and just write it down as fiction. A lot of that ends up becoming the truth because the universe is using them as a conduit to get the idea across. Well, and a lot of these guys, too, I mean, at least like Huxley, you know, were into also, you know, meditation, opening your, you know, doing mescaline, like opening your horizon psychedelics and getting information through sort of non-traditional ways as well. So that stuff fed into Philip K. Dick. I mean, come on, you know, that um, all, all fell into their work that way. So it is a very heady, especially, you know, especially there in the mid century, it's a very heady um, uh, art, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and, and you see, you know, there are minor uh, little blips that you hit every now and then when you're doing research, where you'll realize like, Oh, this, this is some kind of memory that we all have. Like, I, I think it's very odd and nobody ever really talks about this. Um, I mean, I, I've heard a couple of people talk about it and I talk about it at my lectures, but uh, the constellation Orion cross-culturally and around the world for centuries has always been a big man. So like how and why do cultures who have not interacted in thousands of years all have the idea that that star pattern represents a giant man in the sky. Like, where does that original idea come from? And then how did it spread all across the world and persist for centuries? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Why? Why? What what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I'll throw it back at you. (laughs) Um, I I think that uh, perhaps uh, someone long, long ago uh, from that direction, uh, met with people who lived here or brought people here. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's as decent an idea as any. Um, I did some research a few years ago. I was really interested in why people would think that, uh, why people would look at the sun. Like my concept, I don't know if I'm going to get this across, right? I haven't talked about it in in years and years. I was always fascinated that people would say, oh, well, people think the sun is God. And I thought to myself, like the first time I had heard that decades ago, I was like, well, that's interesting. Why would people look at a giant flaming ball in the sky and think that it's alive? Mm -hmm. And so I did some research and what I did was I figured, okay, let's take non highly intellectualized people, children, uh, and ask them which one is a representation of you. And I would give them uh, a, a series of toys and some of them were balls. Some of them were blocks and some of them were dolls. And they always picked the doll because they understood the human form. So what was it? Tens of, not hundreds of thousands of years ago that made people look into the sky and say people when they looked up unless they had some kind of recovered memory or idea that people lived up there. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. The sky people stuff. I mean, Jacques Vallée talks about all about that in passport to Magonia that we've had these stories of people living in the sky for since the dawn of human time, you know, it's in the, 
Judeo-Christian tradition, that's what heaven becomes. You know, in the Greeks, that's Mount Olympus, you know, above the clouds where Zeus is hanging out. Um, and even in, even in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa and Asia and South America, the, the legends of sky gods persist or that your ancestors live in the sky um, or that some of your ancestors live under the ground. Right. Um, or when we die, we go to the sky or we go underground. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Now, are uh, you saying this in a, in a literal sense, like uh, humanity is seeded by another another civilization? Or is this more in like a metaphorical sense of like consciousness springs from this phenomenon that is in, interrelated with consciousness? Or I think that the, the possible, I mean, I, I'm a possibilitist 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 right, probabilitist i think you just found a new name for uh, your po- uh, new podcast <laughs> possibilitist possibilitist oh, yeah um i mean i think it's possible that there was life here uh as much as there was life brought here uh, yeah. i don't i don't have any problem with their life being here and life being brought here i don't have right. any problem with life being here life being brought here and consciousness trying to interact with both or neither or only a part of that group um, so, you know, I think one of the difficulties in doing this type of research and why I don't like to be locked down and give people declarative and definitive statements is because we don't have any idea and what this should be, what we're all doing aside from searching for the answers uh, is we should be using this as a way to strengthen our brains through mental gymnastics by thinking forward and thinking of every single possibility. And and not saying, okay, that one is uh, the best, and that's the answer. As soon as someone tells you that they have the answer, I mean, that person is a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I totally agree. I think that's great. That's a, that's a fantastic way of looking at it, and a way in which you can actually puzzle through the problem without becoming encumbered by all these uh, beliefs that you have to then fit everything into a, the box of. Right. Then know, you start, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, John. I was going to say, I know that this isn't on the topic of UFOs, but it's become up recently. And, and I just had this conversation with a friend of mine, which was, I have been very disheartened because, you know, I started off my research in the, in the mid eighties, my mentors were uh, historians who studied political assassinations of the 1960s and seventies. So JFK, RFK, MLK, Malcolm X, Kent State, Black Panther Party, uh, Fred Hampton, um, all of that stuff. So I actually was started as a conspiracy theorist. And one of the things that is just overwhelmingly earth-shattering, heartbreaking to me is to see what has happened to conspiracy theory. Because yeah. conspiracy theory was mental it used, gymnastics. It used it to be was, a good time. <laughs> it, it used to be a good time, and it was a great way to strengthen your brain and your critical thinking skills. Because yeah. if someone said, oh, there's a giant base that houses 500,000 aliens underneath this uh, Groom Lake in Area 51 – you can say to yourself, like, okay, well, what do they do with all of their waste from going to the bathroom? And how do they get food supplies down there? And who cleans that stuff up? Because if you have 500,000 people living beneath the ground, that's going to take a lot of resources, energy, and effort. Mm-hmm. And then you, it quickly falls apart. Well, maybe it's not 500,000. Okay, it's only 10,000. Well, if it's only 10,000, you still need, you know, probably a few thousand people just for maintenance and upkeep. And you can actually use conspiracy theories to start generating critical thinking skills. And now conspiracy theory has become someone said something. That's what it is. I believe it. And now I'm going to die for it. Right. Yeah. It's it's become its opposite. That almost sometimes it almost that 
there almost feels like a, a conspiracy there where it's some sort of like psyops situation where the conspiracy uh, mindset has sort of been co-opted by that which wants to destroy that way of thinking and um you, you know create a situation where it becomes meaningless and it becomes uh, you know laughable uh, right and then people stop reading and researching about it right yeah so this and kind I of segues perfectly into the news this week uh you know just in terms of like you know the pentagon or the new york times article we covered in the bcc news about you know that they may have you know there's people involved that are saying hey i think some of this stuff might come from off-world materials we have congress that are trying to wrap their brains around that maybe you know it's all still feels a little vague as riley pointed out but um how does that all how does this moment that we're living in now coupled with you know, news of this UFO variety that's been slowly coming out over the past couple of years. I'm not someone who really buys into an idea of disclosure. I just don't think something like that's going to happen, but there would be people reading this news saying it is happening right now. Like what, what, what's your take on this, John? I think it's one of the things that I've tried to do is tell people and relate to people how, vastly important it is to understand the cyclical nature of certain things in history. And we are living in a time right now that seems with UFOs in regard just to UFOs. Uh, we are living in a time now that seems unprecedented and it seems unprecedented, unprecedented because the people who were alive when this happened before and the first time are dead. And the people who were alive the second time this happened are dead. And the people who were alive the third time this happened are very old, and we don't like to listen to our elders. And now it's happening to this generation, and we're reacting as if it's the first time. But I mean, can you even begin to fathom, and I tell people this all the time, and they say, yeah, so what? But can you begin to fathom 1947? We're just out of World War II. The world is in kind of this upheaved state. We don't really know what's going on. Who's our friends and enemies? We don't know, you know, how the economy is going to recover. There's, it's very similar in essence to some of the things that are going on now. And the government reveals, okay, project sign. We're going to study UFOs. And immediately, everyone starts seeing UFOs. UFOs hit the newspaper. New UFOs are on television. UFOs are everywhere. You would have thought that aliens were going to be revealed. And then it kind of dies down and it goes away. And then in the 60s, the government's like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to study. The, we're going to have the Condon Report. We have Project Blue Book. We're going to talk to UFO people. All of a sudden, contactees. Everybody's seeing aliens. Everybody's talking to aliens. People are going to Mars. People are going to Venus, saying that they've had contact with Venusians. It, it would have looked like UFOs are coming around. Now you go into the 1980s, all of a sudden you have former retired generals and people who did work for Project Blue Book and people who were doing studies like Jacques Vallée at SRI um, saying, okay, UFOs are real. And all of a sudden there's Groom Lake, Area 51. People work at UFOs. People make UFOs. They've seen UFOs. They're government contractors for UFOs. You would have thought disclosure was going to happen. And yeah. now again... It's the exact same thing. Some people who worked for the government are interested in UFOs. We've been studying UFOs. Now everybody's seeing them. Everybody's talking about them. And disclosure is eminent. This has happened before. Well, and it's no coincidence that, you know, in that initial article that came out in December of 2017, Harry Reid was talking about how 
you know, one of the ways they put together that ATIP program at the Pentagon was he and a bunch of other senators and congressmen that flew during the Korean War or Vietnam all were like, I saw some of those. I'd like to know what those are. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so uh, people have still been seeing this stuff, but it, it, you know, these people at the end of the day, for better or for worse, are only human. And I think some of them have an imagination about this stuff, just like we do and are in a position of power to at least get funding to, to, uh, to study it, even if it, you know, is under the umbrella of foreign threats. But um, I don't know where I was going with that exactly, but I think I think that what you just said is very important that people miss. Right now, there is a enormous amount of money that is kind of loose floating around in our system with with people trying to figure out where it's going to go, whether it's going to be COVID relief or whether it's going to be tax relief or whether it's going to be corporation relief. There is a lot of money loose floating around, and people have pet projects and people have interests. And if you can funnel a couple hundred million dollars into three or four friends accounts who are going to like help you out and you help them out, like I think a money plays a much bigger factor in this than actual UFOs. Right. And obviously like Bigelow, guys like Bigelow who are in the private sector now, like people like Tom DeLonge who actually have liquid and can Well, and Bigelow who is from Bigelow who was Reed's constituent. Like he right. read is from that area of, of BASSS. Yeah. 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 That makes so much sense. So, so how do we, how do we break out of that cycle? You were, you were describing though, John, that the, the, the walking up to the line of disclosure and then, and falling back, or do we not break out of that cycle? Is that just sort of the, the nature of how we dance? It seems generational thing? the way you explain it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that we study history. We, trust people who remain trustworthy over the years, because that's another thing too. We're like, Oh yeah, that guy lied for 20 years, but now he's telling me the truth. Like you just let people (laughs) off the hook, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, you know, uh, fool, you know, there's that fool me once shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. That's I've never understood that. Like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Fuck you. Like <laughs> you dick. Like you dick. You fucking lied to me again. I'll never trust you. Right? I think we, I think we have a new t-shirt. <laughs> and so I think, I, like I think what needs to happen is honestly, like we need to talk to each other. We don't, we, we, we don't, put all of our eggs in the basket of there are these five guys who work for the government or worked for the government who know 10 more guys who work for the government and these corporations. And they're going to be the ones that disclose uh, the alien presence to us. I mean, I know that it sounds hippy dippy or whatever like that, but like if you want a highly advanced technological uh, extraterrestrial intergalactic race to make contact with us, like you start by being nice to people on the planet. Like you yeah. really do. Like, because you don't know whose ideas in what person's head and you want to have the largest body of information and the, the deepest, most meaningful, meaningful conversations you can have, which means you're going to have to have them with everybody, which means you're going to have to get along with everyone because, you know, when the aliens land, I, I've said this before and I've written about it when the, when and if aliens ever come here and they are beneficent and they are loving and they want to share and change our world, which will change in a fraction of a second once they are revealed to be true, um, 
we're not going to be in the mindset at that time to point fingers and say, see, you didn't believe me. We are going to evolve very quickly and we're going to evolve past nation states and skin colors and where you were born. We are going to very quickly become, holy shit, let's explore the galaxy. Man, that's that's beautiful. A, a, a plea for peace so that we can, you know, make our place in the intergalactic society. That's I love that. Do you think do you think, John, that it's one of those things where like it's not until we get there that any of these, you know, beings are gonna reveal themselves? I mean, if 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 there is a mental component, if there is a psychic component, which as you guys read and research, it all seems to be somehow interconnected. You know, they seem to have access to some of our thoughts, perhaps our dreams, our consciousness. Um I, I think that it's a very big deal how we think about each other and how we think about our own world. And if our consciousnesses uh, group and collectively radiate out into a larger unknown world, like it's going to pick up the cacophony of chaos as we hate each other. <laughs> yeah. And it's also going to pick up the, you know, the, the, the music of when we start getting along. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like right now, it's like harder to get to that point than ever, but you know, I don't know. It's that freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> it's just, you know, I just feel like the things that we really need to do to overcome as a society are all the things that seem to be vilified by conspiracy theorists. Like to say, you know, got to hold on to national sovereignty, you know, one world government, all that stuff. That's all these like unification is a very, is a bad guy in a lot of these, you know, uh, these conspiracy, dark conspiracy theories or the idea of like, you know, the thing that really bugs me is this idea of like, oh, we're not, even if the aliens come, it's just going to be a hologram projected by the government to scare us all into subjection. You know what I mean? It's like you can't, right. I just feel like we're at a point where like right now with this stuff, we can't win. You know what I mean? Just there's such a division, right? Right. I mean, that's the, 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 the you're absolutely correct. The problem is that we have divided ourselves and we've created factions. And the hardest thing, I think one of the hardest things for human beings to really grasp is the thing, the thing that we have in common is that every one of us is different. Our difference is our commonality. It's the thing we share. And it's that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful that we're all different. That's the same thing we have in common with every other different person. And mm -hmm. I think if we could realize that, we would very we very quickly understand that I'm just looking at you. I'm when I'm looking at you, I'm looking at me in a disguise. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. I you like know, that. And, yeah, because it. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I I was just going to say that you know I think. We, we see that more and more as the internet is really it's really sort of just coming into its own with like you know video chatting becoming a a very regular thing and you you see how how much people are interacting with each other and and beyond borders and and countries and everything and you know there's there is the narrative of division but that is just one narrative and i especially think looking at the generation that's coming up on the internet now like gen z i think they have a a, a pretty tremendous empathy capacity and it seems like growing up on the internet and growing up in sort of this global mindset you, you are seeing you know that 
that narrative happening too. And I think it's important to see both. There is that, that, but I also feel like coming up alongside it is an amplified narcissism. So that sense of, you know, individuality being the be all end all the binary me versus you is also getting, you know, that's also getting exacerbated a bit too. I think, you know what I mean? I I agree with you. I, I think I really do think like the generation behind ours, Riley, is really going to save everybody. I do, too. I have I do, too. I have I, I have a 19 year old nephew who is of that generation, and I am continually shocked by how much empathy he has. And the fact that he grew up because of the Internet, the fact that he has friends all over the world, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I grew up wanting to beat up the kids at the rival school inside my own city because they were at a different school. Right. He doesn't want to fight with other countries he doesn't understand because he has friends in those countries. Yeah. I think that's so much at the heart of it is people just still want to pick fights and we're just in a – it's like really <laughs> – you know what I mean? I mean, I grew yeah. up in Kansas. I saw it all the time. And then when I went, then when I went to Interlochen, uh, in Michigan for for school, and I was suddenly around with kids. I was going to school with kids from all over the world, kids of different sexuality. Uh, you know, I suddenly went. You know, I was I was like, oh, wow, this can like everyone can really get along and learn from different people. You know what I mean? But I do. That's think really that all it shaking. takes is the exposure. Just I think being we're but, around but, other but people. Yeah, but there is this kind of going back to the fight or flight thing, right? Trying to bring it all back together. There still seems to be the strong and oftentimes, you know, confused with the American identity and like the American man of like, let's kick its ass. You know what I mean? And we got to get old. We have to get over that. We got to stop picking. I know now we're kind of off on a different tangent, but I I think like. (laughs) I thought we were talking about aliens, man. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's the goal, right? Don't we all. Nobody wants to fight with their neighbor. Nobody wants that. No. Right. We want want to meet you guys. I know that, again, I'm not a great math guy, and I don't know if we've ever discussed this before, but. And and this is the last thing I guess I'll say, and then we can talk about aliens. But (laughs) have you guys ever, you guys ever heard of 35th cousins? You know what that is? No, no. Okay. So I have a mom and a dad and I have, so I have two parents. I have four grandparents. I have eight great grandparents and then 16 great, great, great grandparents. Then I have 32 great, 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 great grandparents. If I do that 35 times, then there are more people in my family than have ever existed on the earth which means that I have a common relative with everyone before 35th cousins. Whoa. Whoa. That's amazing. That's not that many steps. No. At all. No. Like when you think about how, say, like a a bacteria, uh, you know, goes through generations, like we've, that's a blip. That's not right. If you go back 35 generations, you will have to share a common relative with someone because by the time you get to 35, you have billions and billions and billions of people would have in your family. And there's just never been that many people that have ever existed on the planet. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. That's mathematically. We are all a family. Exactly. And we know how much family and tribes mean to people right now. Right. Yeah. We're all one tribe, baby. And um, if we can, like, again, if we could figure that out and actually like put it into practice, we could build some fucking spaceships and get off this planet. Yeah. Hell yeah. We wouldn't <laughs> have to wait for the about. aliens. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, John, before we say goodbye, I wanted to ask you, just because I'm curious, uh, with the man of your knowledge and um, sense of history, uh, what what cases of from UFO lore that you do you love and and why? And do you think that and is there one that makes you go? This might make the argument for nuts and bolts uh, spacecrafts coming from other planets and visiting. Um, I I tell you what, I've met him a number of times and sat and talked with him, and I I and maybe it's because of the movie and whatever, and I was of the age of the time. But like, I love Travis Walton's story. Mm. Um, I I don't have any problem with Travis. Uh. He tells a pretty consistent story. He seems like a very normal person. Uh, that's a good story that I like. I, I like Betty and Barney Hill, even though I think that that was probably government and not uh, aliens. Okay, hmm. let's talk about that. What, <laughs> because we just did that recently with Paul Shear, and uh, it's I, I've I, I, always been fascinated with them, um, but we did not take a look at it from that angle so i think that probably at that time i think that the government was probably very interested in how aliens were being perceived i think they had uh the very basic technology that would be needed to hoax a ufo landing and i think that betty and barney were a demographic that needed to be studied which was an interracial couple um, and see how that community would respond to alien intervention and, and how that would play out. For to what to what means exactly do you think? Uh, because I think that uh, in the 1960s, I think that once the government realized that they weren't going to just be dealing with uh, Eurocentric, Anglonized white people. Uh, they had to start doing investigations as to what would happen with the UFO phenomena once it enters the African-American community, the Latino community, and so on. And in the 1960s is when you start to get a lot of abduction reports uh, from Mexico, from South America, uh, and Betty and Barney Hill. Whoa. So you think it was it was actually a, an intentional test? It was not like a... Yes, they accidentally saw government craft, but this was a, this, the whole point of it was that I think that a lot of the contactees, I think that some of them had very weird, valid, maybe off world or other world experiences. But once I think that that began to happen, the government took advantage of that situation to do data collection and data gathering and figure out what they could do psychologically to people and how people would psychologically react to those things. We also know the 1960s is when MK Ultra was hitting hard. Yeah, and they were starting to test psychotropic drugs on people. So I think Mm -hmm. that that was their perfect opportunity. That that makes sense. Well, and a lot of those memories that came up, came up during hypno regressions, you know, you know, a lot of that stuff that we get from those encounters all came from, you know, those therapy sessions and then from Betty's dreams, you know, there's not, they didn't have a lot of like memories of the event itself other than seeing the craft and maybe seeing some beings walking around in the craft that, you know, Barney thought looked like Nazi soldiers, you know? Right. I will tell you, uh, this is uh, it's not UFO related, kind of UFO related, but somewhat interesting. Uh, I never had any. Do either of you ever watch the UFC? Occasionally, but not not habitually. Like if it's on, at I a have bar or something. no interest in the UFC. Yeah. But recently I've started watching UFC because Angela Hill is one of the fighters and she's the granddaughter of Betty and Barney Hill. 
No. Whoa. Way. <laughs> That's crazy. So watching Betty and Barney Hill's granddaughter beat the fuck out of people is kind of cool. <laughs> Dude, I just Googled her now. Angela Patrice Hill. That is yep. fucking rad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I have my new favorite uh, UFC fighter. I'm a fan now, 100%. <laughs> And a lot, and a lot of UFC fighters actually uh, uh, carry crystals around with them when they fight. What? There's a huge crystal UFC community. Sub subsection of UFC. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So if we wanted to, you know, we're sitting here in the pandemic. I'm still under, you know, lockdown basically. Uh, if we wanted to maybe at home try to contact a higher intelligence or a quote-unquote alien, how would maybe we start going about doing that? Not that I'm getting any big ideas. <laughs> um, it's really funny because I'm, kind of, I'm working with someone right now on a book kind of about this, about how to kind of contact aliens. Um, I think that one of the things is to keep it in your mind, but not in the front of your mind. Uh, most people who have interactions with UFOs, uh, UFO knots, uh, and extraterrestrials, it seems to happen um, when they are not expecting it. Uh, just like you waking yep. up and, and having something happen to you. Last I thing think, on my mind. Yeah, I think that the uh, hard set intention, and I know some occultists and practitioners of magic will get down on me for saying this, but I think that intention is actually kind of the wrong way to call out for extraterrestrials. I think the best thing that you can do is kind of be at peace with yourself, go outside, lay in the grass at night, stare at the sky, wonder about the stars, think of how you can be a better human being, think of the things you can do to make the world a better place. Uh, it's usually in those moments when people are kind of just drifting, whether it be the contactees like Daniel Fry or Truman Bethram or Betty and Barney Hill. It just happens when they're in this kind of hypnagogic state of relaxation and just being at peace when they encounter extraterrestrials. So it's funny because as you say that, I'm thinking like, yeah, driving along a highway at night kind of puts you in that zone. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a sort of hypnotic. Uh, anyone who's ever done like long distance road trips, driven at night. Like, you know, there's a there's a real rhythm in a sort of subtle like lullaby to to driving, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I really do think, you know, it's <laughs> it's funny. But, you know, when uh, back in the 1950s and 60s, when they were having back then World UFO Day and World Flying Saucer Day, which we think is a new thing, but it's been going on for you know 50 years, uh, people would lay in, in the grass and they would they would chant in their head, you know, uh, 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 trying to think of what the phrase was. It was actually a carpenter's song, uh, calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Oh, like, yeah. And, and, and people would just chant that. And I mean, that song was based around world UFO day and, and, you know, Albert Bender who contacted the men in black, like yeah. it's, it's got all of these weird things. I think relaxation and not wanting it to happen, but allowing it to happen. Yeah, there's a big difference there. Yeah. 
UFO consensual contact. I like it. <laughs> and there's nothing you could do to stop them anyway. <laughs> oh, that's true, unfortunately. John, thank you so much for coming back to the show. This has been awesome. I want to talk to you for another five hours, but uh, that would be unfair to you. Uh, what? Where can people find you? What are you working on? You mentioned a couple books. When can we expect the well, I guess we yeah. don't know when the Formanaut stuff's going to come out. But I- the Formanaut, the Formanaut book should be out by December, um, and then I'm writing. This is it's. I, I talked about it earlier because it was on my head. I, I'm working on a book right now uh, called Obscured Colossus, which is about the constellation Orion, which is why that was on my brain earlier. Um, and talking about here's, I'll give I'll give you away the book since the book is only like 50 pages long anyway. But um, I, I I seem to have figured out that Paul Bunyan is actually the constellation Orion. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, That's I can see that. Awesome. So the giant hunter in the sky. Um, but so that should that little booklet will be out, and then again, I'm glad you. This is how we ended. Uh, by the end of this year, just in time for Christmas, I'm putting together a ufo not alien contact divination system what yeah do tell yeah so there is a board a pendulum cards instruction manuals and uh you use it to contact extraterrestrials uh well rules i know what (laughs) we'll be doing new year's eve riley and bryce if you if you uh if any of you if you or any of your listeners uh check out my instagram which is instagram.com slash john ten john el tenny uh one of the last pictures i posted shows one of the cards flipped over it says the card of the day is the innocent and then you can see that the card is flipped over that's the card system that comes along with the board that's the first time I've ever talked about it to anyone. So you guys wow, are breaking. That's so that. exciting. BCC I mean, scoop. That's great. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, John. It honestly getting to talk to you now is one of the true pleasures of doing this show. Um, I love I, this. You don't know. I love it so much. Well, you are welcome back anytime, please. Uh, and I urge all of our listeners to follow your work. Go back, listen to the podcast, your podcast, Realm of the Weird, and just uh, get, get get as much Johnny L. Tenney in your life as you can. Um, and uh, and when when all this is over, I'm taking you guys and Jen Kirkman ghost hunting. Fan, dude, <laughs> yes. we are there. Name of time and place. We're there. I already told Jen. She was like, oh, I'm on board. Done. Done. <laughs> Great. Right, well, thanks, thanks so much. Goodbye, John. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Oh boy! I mean, just the greatest guy. Truly, in, I like so. I, I, I just, I'm always in a good mood after we talk to John. I know, just... me too. That's why I, when we did that, we did the intro. I was just like, I love you, Space Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this weird creature voice. I'm in love with you guys. That's um, right. So, yeah, I want to thank our guest, Johnny L. Tenney, again. Bryce is going to be so bummed that he missed that. And he doesn't listen to the podcast, so he'll never know what was discussed. <laughs> That's true. I don't um, think he's even subscribed to the Patreon. I, I don't think he, I, he definitely d- doesn't even have a podcast app in his phone. You know what I mean? Like, he's I'm, too busy getting to the hardcore truth. It's, that's right. He doesn't have time for other people's opinions. Um, guys, we'd love to hear your opinions. If you would go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review uh, and give us a little write-up. We might read it on the air, just like this one from uh, Devin Carley, who says, one of my go-to podcasts. 
This is just such a fun show, and I love how they talk about a wide array of spooky subjects that range from silly to downright terrifying. The thing is, even the scary stuff is flavored by the fun vibes these guys give off, and it's just all around really enjoyable. Enjoyable enough for me to rate and review a podcast for the first time. Much appreciation for your work, and please keep it going, Devin. Devin, thank you. And just like Devin, please be uh the person who reviews their first podcast and let it be us bigfoot collectors club you can follow us on instagram at bigfoot collectors club uh on twitter at bigfoot pod riley do you have anything to plug before we leave i do i have an idea that i want to try out with you guys that are listening um i i i don't know if you're aware of our track uh completely absorbed by the strange that we recently released if you're not Look up Club Bryce on Spotify. Check out that track. It's 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 our paranormal banger. Um, but what what we'd like to do is crowdsource uh, a music video for it. So if you enjoy the track, we would love it if you just using your laptop computer or your laptop um, camera or your phone camera, or whatever, just film you getting down to the song. However you however you get down to the strange whatever let's keep it like keep it keep it clean like yeah. we're not asking for to be clear if you want to you know wear an alien mask and dance around your backyard great but like you know keep yeah, have some clothes to get like a 65 year old man just shaking his bare ass straight <laughs> I mean, down the barrel of his iphone camera <laughs> that's art baby uh but yeah so send us send us some clips uh and let's see if we can put together a music video this is totally an experiment if it fails if then it fails hey but, baby uh, you know what my acting teacher used to say to me what's that fail big that's right <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna fail fail forward on this one we're gonna fail big so <laughs> send us send us some clips at bigfoot collectors club at gmail.com and ah. uh let's see what we can all make together it'll be fun that's great. And as for me, uh, I show up a couple times on this season of Perry Mason. My first episode already aired. I should have at least one more coming up if I didn't get cut. So check that out. The show is cool. The The period stuff is really fun. Um, so I'm seeing it for the first time, really, along with everybody else. Uh, until next so cool. time. Thanks, buddy. Until next time, uh, I am Michael McMillan for Bryce Johnson and Riley Bray. Uh, good night. And go get regressed. Yes. Oh, that good to finally say that. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their case has had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. 
As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.